Welcome to the Tweed Couch Guitar Therapy Session, where we talk about all things guitar related. My name is Dr. T, and I am not a licensed therapist, but I play one on a podcast. Today on the Tweed Couch, we are counseling on LifeS Music City, Tennessee, 2022. This is the second year on Johnny Cash's Hideaway Farm doing a music festival, and it did not disappoint. Yes, there was less stages, but the quality of performer went up. Casting Crowns, Zach Williams, Stephen Curtis Chapman, Skillet, Sidewalk Prophets, Swinless, the list goes on. But what changed this year at the music festival? Did we see any good gear? Where did all the tube amps go? Why are we now lighting guys? How did Lloyd crash the set of a main stage artist? Will he be allowed back next year? Why is Dr. T singing Elvis and Carrie Underwood songs? And why was a Kemper being mic'd? Well, we will discuss this and more on this group therapy session with Lloyd on the Tweed Couch. Well, it is great to have you back with us today, Lloyd. For us to have a little bit of a conversation, a little bit of therapy of what we just dealt with at LifeFest Music City. So, Lloyd, thank you for joining me again on the couch to talk. Absolutely, Dr. T. Always glad. It's been a long time. About a week. Yeah, it's <laughs> <laughs> since we saw each other. But That's according right. to these people, it's been months. Mm-hmm. We are going to talk about the LifeFest Music City 2022. And I want to start with this. I'm going to bring up a memory, and this is out of order. But do you remember the Zach Williams guitar boat? <laughs> it's it's burned into my retina as it should be mm-hmm. it was a who's who of gibson guitars nobody else knows this for the listeners to bring you into this before the event started we went to nashville the day before and checked out a bunch of music stores and you and yeah, i had, you and i had the conversation about how you know not as many people are playing gibson les pauls anymore we talked about how it was like Coachella and some of these these more secular artists, they're all picking like offsets, like jazz masters and jaguars and jag stains. And then you'll have some that are like doing a telecaster and stratocaster or whatever, but it seems to be Fender. Yeah. Fender and Gretsch. Yeah. And so that's what the kids are playing because that's what they're seeing. Oh yeah. But everything's cyclical, you know, and I and I sure. expect thing it'll because Gibson was out of favor also in the eighties, if you remember. Where everything was Ibanez yep. and Jackson and, you know, anything mm-hmm. that looked like a strat with a humbucker, you know, basically. Yep. And so, you know, it comes around. And so you and I had the conversation about let, let's look at all the stages that we can while we're there. And let's count how many Gibson Les Pauls we actually see. And we went yep. through Thursday night and Friday night and all day Saturday, not a single Gibson Les Paul the entire yep. time. We ended up seeing about 38 of them. Yep. All in Zach Williams' guitar boat. That's exactly right. On Saturday night. <laughs> One band. <laughs> More guitars than everybody else had the uh, rest of the uh, the festival. Yeah. And, you know, the rest of the festival, it was a lot of Telecasters. And it was a lot of PRSs. Well, really, a lot of PRSs was mostly Skillet. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, they had the PRS quota. Yeah, but otherwise it was acoustics and it was some sort of a Fender style or 
uh, custom shop something. But then we get to Zach Williams, and there was an R4. There was an R9. There was a 335. And then there were backups for most of those. And then there was also like a Gibson jumbo and like a gibson j45 and i mean there was just lots and lots and actually i put it on instagram because i was like oh i love a guitar boat it was pretty cool yeah of all the gibson stuff though there was one artist who was playing a gibson bass yeah was who was that was that uh was that chapman's bassist no no who was that he was playing on a different stage he was playing on the kids' stage. No, I don't remember him. I don't think I saw Dang them it, enough. It's me, man. It's <laughs> oh, me. It was I you. was the one doing it. What? Yeah. <laughs> Get out of here. <laughs> yeah, that was pretty cool. They, they really were the highlight of the event. Yeah. At this event, we actually... <laughs> we're going to go back to the other artists, but I've got to stay this. Because I have two gigs a year that I play bass. Two. Mm-hmm. Both of them with Swin and Dean, which is a kids sing-along band. And (laughs) honestly, they're really entertaining. It's quite fun to be a part of it. If you're there for the music, you're in the wrong place. But if you're there for the show, man, it's, it's a show. It's funny. It's fun. It's, it's kid worthy. I, yeah, I didn't know until uh, you guys showed up or they showed up because you were already there that Swin and Dean was actually, uh, Swin wasn't there. So I did love the name yeah. of your group. Instead of being Swin and Dean, and now it was like, well, just Dean. Instead, you went by Swinless, which I thought That's was right. really great. I think you should always go by Swinless, even when he's there. Yeah, well, I think we should go by Swinless featuring Swin. <laughs> That's good. That's good. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Mm. But I ended up doing one of my two annual bass gigs uh, with Swinless, and it was super fun because one of the big things that I get to do is I get to actually play with my brother. Yeah. Which is not often that I get to play with Paul. Bingo. Yep. <laughs> and you know what? It, it's fun to do that. And he has his, his things when he plays that I go, oh, I wish I could do that. And then he has his things that he does that I go, nope, don't do that anymore. You have to stop that. <laughs> okay. Stop that. Here was, uh, I wasn't able to be there as much as I thought I would be there for that. Um, yep. I uh, was on call um, as, a, uh, as a fuzzy bunny. Um, a very, fluffy white bunny. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not fuzzy, I guess. <laughs> but I very rarely got called when you were on stage. You would get called, which is right. Right, rightfully so. So I got called. It seemed like every time there was something that happened, I got called out of there, which was great because then I felt needed. But I was there for. An awesome tonal moment with Paul. Now on his pedal board, you know he mostly used he mostly used overdrives. Paul's a, Paul's like a blues rock guy, and so he just mostly right. used to use a nice overdrive, and it with a Strat into the Vox. Okay, and he wasn't using his pedal board. He was actually using the Festival's pedal board, and the person who put together the Festival's pedal board was the left-handed drummer. John Doherty, who we have as one of the other people here for group therapy. Yeah. So we had a drummer put together his pedal board. Yeah. And for the fun of it, he put on it two metal zones. 
Darn right he did. Yeah, just for the fun of it. Mm -hmm. Which, you know, none of us would really think to use this. And you would think that Paul no way would. But of course, Paul was like, yeah, well, why not? It's on there. Let's turn it on. And so, you know, one is fine. Okay. But he kicked on both metal zones at one point at the end of a song. Yep. And I was like, who knew that two metal zones sounds like an half-cocked wah sound yeah it totally did and so he's doing this single note thing with feedback at the end and i'm like i know you're scaring the children right now literally scaring the children right now because i saw your face and you were looking towards the kids and then you looked at paul and you're like paul you need to stop right now because you're scaring the kids right now um yep but i did say that but it was yep. but it, it actually sounded really cool yeah who would have thought? And I, the only thing I did to that pedal board to change it was I put a metal zone at the front of the chain and the end of the chain. Okay. So one is processing just the guitar and the other is processing the whole signal. Yeah. And it sounded really good. I liked it. It, it actually worked. I was shocked. So thanks, Mr. Doherty. One of my favorite moments from that stage was we were doing a song and in that song you basically would say something and they go that's me and so it's like who thinks that the minnesota vikings are gonna go to super bowl and only dean said that's me and that's (laughs) it and then we started naming out other ones and somebody from the crowd went new england patriots and uh i was like do they still have a team i thought tom (laughs) moved them down south Uh, uh, she gave me such a good look. Uh, it was it was fantastic. This is true. Yeah. He did. <laughs> All right. So back to some of the other stuff. You actually learned a new skill this festival. Because there are certain things that we get to do that are really fun. And there are certain things we get to do that are just a necessity. And we ended up being lighting guys which we had to set up lights and there are people who know how to set up lights and then there are people like us and then there are people who know how to direct people how to set up lights and then there are people like us who go that doesn't make sense or I think I could do that better so tell us about your experience Lloyd about all of this this was the first time in my life that I was a lighting guy for the event. Last year was my first year as a fluffy white bunny. And I didn't do, except for the uh, changeovers between some of the bands that you mentioned before that we helped do. I didn't do any setup, anything on mainstay. We were too busy last year in Bonagua doing other stuff. And they also had, they also had uh, more volunteers for uh, the main stage. And so this year, they needed us more, hence why we had to get up at 7 a.m. every morning to help put the yep. stuff up. But even before that, we actually helped set up the entire stage, too. And the yeah. uh, and they broke us into groups. I was on the lighting group there. So I ended up helping hang the uh, stage lights, the permanent stage lights all week. But then I also ended up, every morning, ended up getting roped in to helping set up the, the headliners' special light system that they would bring yep. in for the back wall. And that was Skillet, and that was Zach Williams. So one of those days, you and I were both helping do the lights stuff. And the night, yeah. the night before, what you were saying, I was, just, I was really impressed with the light guy um, named Bear, who uh, was yeah. really good at directing us, telling us what he wanted. And it, just, it was very systematic and order. It all made sense. And we just did it. And then uh, the next night, 
the uh, what I learned later is it was in his defense, it was the first night on their tour. So yeah. he was still trying to figure everything out himself, but things weren't labeled very well. He's telling us to go find um, these pipes. Uh, well, there were six pipes on the ground and he would tell us yeah. what number we were supposed to get. Well, three of the six of them, the numbers were worn off. It was like they had a piece of tape that was uh, with yeah. the number and they were worn off. So it would have like, and they were numbered like 100 something. So it was like supposed to be 104, 105, 106, that sort of thing. And so we would have, yeah. we would have 10 nothing. That's right. <laughs> and, or as Canadian Ben would say, it's 10 blur. Yeah, because it like, was. Blur is not a word. Man. You can't use that there. <laughs> and so we're all thinking the same thing because I'm like, okay, I understand. I understand having these all in order normally, but these pipes were indistinguishable from each other. And as we set yeah. up, as we set up the first two and mounted the lights on the bar, our measuring system, we weren't, we weren't lining up with any tape marks that were on the pipe, which nope. would make sense. We were lining yeah. them up by put the one, put the, there were four lights on each bar, put the t- top light on, and then just stick your hand in between the other two and put the other one up to your hand. And that's what we did. Yep. Now, of course, uh, Canadian Ben, his hands were d- are different widths than mine. So right. there was a fall right there. Meanwhile, you and I are thinking the same thing. And Thomas is standing on the, on the curb um, watching this going, what, what is, what is the, what, what difference does it make? which rod you pick up at this point, you know, because yeah. we spent, yes. we probably spent like 30 minutes just looking for the numbers on these rods. But every time we set them up, it made no difference because they no none whatsoever. Now the lights, the lights needed to be in the right spot out of the six areas. Yes. The lights needed to be in the right spot, but the rods that they were, that were, that they were on, it, it could have been in any order. It didn't make any difference at all. So that was yeah, kind of strange. It didn't matter at all. So that night, you and I are watching the show from out front in the in the gator cart, and I'm looking at these, and it's just what I would expect. The, there's there's four lights that are supposed to be from top to bottom, are supposed to be even with each other in rows, six across. You know, so six lights at the top, six another row, six another row, six yep. bottom row, six. Yep. And from the back, it looked like a big wave because <laughs> the lights are all different. Yeah, They're right. all different heights, and I'm like, oh my gosh. <laughs> It was, and it wasn't necessarily like really off. It was just by a few inches, and the only reason why we know is because we're the ones that put them up. And it's totally what I would have expected, because it was like okay, and and also the thing when we set the thing up, the the first one I did this is before I grabbed you. There were only there were only three of us to beginning with, including the uh, the tech who was uh, showing us what to do. We had yeah. to put these heavy lights on the end of a pole. He clipped the other end into some kind of clamp and then we needed to lift the whole pole straight up so now it's vertical so it was horizontal when we put the lights on now these lights aren't exactly light and we had four of them on there and so two of us pushed the pole all the way up minute minute i pulled it pushed it up now it's on the back side of i guess what lighting whatever that truss yeah big truss bar Yeah. yeah so the truss is about foot and a half wide. So now I'm reaching over the truss, trying to hold this thing vertical. And as I said, it weighed a lot. And so it's wanting to tip to the left or tip to the right or tip forward. And that's when I grabbed you. And I was like, we need another person. And even then, even then it was like, we were like, is that straight? 
Uh, okay. And so you can see, like, the third from the left was leaning a little into the one on the right. So not only weren't they straight, they weren't horizontally uh, perpendicular no. with each other. The bars themselves were kind of crooked. Yeah. So I'm like, there's, I got all kinds of advice on how to make that work better. But anyway. Oh, yeah. But we got it. Well, they had a special name for what they had us doing. Yeah. Because we had to raise this pole <laughs> straight up. And when we did this, you said a couple of times, you were like, oh, it's an Iwo Jima. Yes. I said, we're Iwo Jima in it. <laughs> and the whole time I was just like, you know, I heard you say it. And I'm like, okay, whatever. Lloyd's speaking gibberish. Maybe he drank early. I don't know what's going on. But then about the fourth pole, all of a sudden I go, this reminds me of that like painting or like that that statue where you where where they had those people holding up the pole and you're mm-hmm. like it's called an Iwo Jima. Like that <laughs> They were at Iwo Jima. They were at Iwo Jima. The flag raised even I've been saying that over the last ten minutes. I <laughs> said it twice. A couple of other people in our group holding this thing up were like, Oh yeah, oh yeah. Dr. T, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah and you, you're like, you, this is exactly what I said. I said it twice. So we're all like holding it vertical. You're like, we, you know, we're, we got, unfortunately, we're right on top of each other. So my ear is, my face is about, you know, four inches from your ear. Right away. So I heard you really well when you're like, oh, this is like the flag raising during World War II. <laughs> I'm like, I'm like, I said that twice. <laughs> so, uh. And what's funny is that Canadian Ben totally understood it the whole time. Yeah, but never said a word. No. Never said a word. No. No, no, no. No. Until and, you and said it, and so then it was then, this. Oh, that's so funny. That's exactly what this is like. <laughs> so we get to the sixth light, and I look at you, and I go, are you ready to do a Hiroshima? <laughs> and you're like, I'm pretty sure that's a different war. <laughs> like, no, I think it's the same war. No, it's one. the same war, just different battle. <laughs> Well, but we did learn because the lighting guy there, he said, you know, because he did, he, he also, he was there helping us the whole time. He didn't he say. He said nothing when he you said, said it. He said nothing. Nobody said anything when I said it twice. So he goes, well, you know, that's actually what we call it. When you like take a, uh, a case or anything and you flip it on end, we said, oh, we need to, need, we need to Iwo Jima. And he said, and actually when you, when you turn the case uh, or like 90 degrees or 180, I guess yeah, 180. Yeah, 180. Yeah, it would yeah. be, he's like, we call that a dosi do So it's actually a term that they use in the business. Yeah. So to him, it wasn't, when I said it, he wasn't realizing that, he's like, well, yeah, that's what we call that it anyway. Nobody else got it? Yeah, yeah, he's like, well, that's what we call it. So he just happens to know something. Yeah. Oh, well. That's funny. That was a good a good time. This You're going to cut this out. Um, I'm hoping I'm not peeking on here. I'm wondering if I should turn it my input down a little bit because I'm watching the lines are like really I thought I had it good but I must be talking louder. Okay. It's probably fine, but I am going to turn the input down a little bit. Yeah, we'll just it's it's pro- it's it's probably fine. Okay. okay. Yeah. Okay, all right. Okay. All right. So we have a number of amazing things that I want to talk about still which includes you upstaging one of the artists that on grandstand i sure um, hope not yeah <laughs> i don't know it, it's an amazing story mm. and people need to stick around for it we also had an interesting thing happen with a kemper as well as yes, some we other did. things yep. so we are going to talk about those things right after a word from our sponsors if you are looking for a way to help support the tweed couch and it costs no money to you 
then check out our YouTube channel and become a subscriber. Also, you can tell someone about the podcast and share an episode with them. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. Who doesn't love a party with a purpose? If you love music, family-friendly, and camping, then you need to come to LifeFest. In 2023, they will have festivals in Oshkosh, Wisconsin, Banagua, Tennessee, and Naples, Florida. I'll see you there. Since 2003, the Kretzman Guitar Company has been repairing and building guitars. In 2021, Kretzman started a production of a solid body electric guitar with the goal of providing affordable, awesome looking, and sounding guitars that anyone, student to expert, would be proud to play and own. Be sure to check them out at kretzmanguitars.com. All right, so we're back, and I want to go ahead and start off with a little bit of the teaser we had before the sponsors, and that is Lloyd upstaging one of the main stage artists. And really, I I don't want to say it's a true upstage, but let's go ahead and say what happened. All right, so Mac Powell. For those that don't know who Mac Powell is, about 25 years ago, he came out with this album with a band called Third Day. And it was a it was a really good album. And then a few years later, they came out with an album called Time. Oh, and one of my t- favorites. I know. And the Time album is a a rock and roll album. Yes, it's a Christian album, but it's rock and roll in the sense that they basically used ACDC chords and created a fantastic rock album. And they did a great job. And Third Day became a huge thing ever since. Yeah. Like, they, they just did great. Well, eventually, the band starts to go their own ways. They start to do their own things. And now Mac Powell decides to do his own thing. So Mac Powell has been doing his own thing a little bit more country ever since. And he is now at the festival. And because he's not with the big old band doing the big old thing, he doesn't travel with a guitar tech. So here he is on stage. He's playing his guitar. He's got his daughter playing bass. He has his son playing guitar. He has his son-in-law playing the drums. He has his best friend that he does church worship with playing guitar, which, by the way, had the tastiest tone of anybody the entire weekend. Yeah, it was good. And all of a sudden, Mac Powell breaks a string. Yeah. And just in that moment, he looks over towards us and when I say us, I mean like monitor world. And there's like maybe like five or six of us standing off to the side. And he looks over and he goes, I don't travel with a guitar tech anymore. Does anybody know how to change a string? And it was amazing <laughs> because you and I, we were standing next to each other, but there was about like four feet in between each other. And just in that moment, I go to raise my right hand. You go to raise your left hand. So we're just like both raising our hand together in the middle. And I take a step forward and raise my right hand. But you just raise your left hand and start walking towards him. And it was amazing how awesome that was. So tell me what it was like. You're walking out there, going onto the main stage to fix some guy's guitar. And you had no idea you were going to do this. Well, the reason I took a step forward was I knew where his guitar case was. Because just before they started playing, Mac Powell still had his guitar case sitting in front of the drum riser open. And his, his friend, the uh, guitar player with the aforementioned wonderful tone, 
He goes, oh, can you, uh, and as I was walking by, he goes, can you, uh, could you put that somewhere? I'm like, yeah. So I, I closed it up and I walked off and I'm like, where are we going to put this thing? And so I had told Jim, the uh, stage manager, as I was walking yep. off, I had said, I'm putting this case back in the semi here just in case we weren't there. Cause normally we're not, we're not always standing on side stage when these bands are playing. Yep. Usually we're out somewhere. We're we just, at one of the other stages. Yeah. We yeah. just, we just, you and I both just happen to be standing there at this time. And so I was like, I'm putting the guitar case back over here in the semi here, just so you guys know where it is. And so that's what I was thinking. I was like, well, I know where it is. And so I just, I just went out and, uh, it was funny because he, he wanted to actually chit chat a little bit. You know, he wanted to know my name and I'm like, and of course he had in ears in. And so I'm like, Lloyd. And he goes, Roy. I'm like, no, Lloyd. Lloyd. <laughs> <laughs> and then you guys from side stage, you and Owen and whoever else, it sounded like everybody. It, it sounded like actually to me, even the people out in the audience all yelled at the same time. Yeah. Lloyd. <laughs> Which <laughs> yeah. that's what it sounded like. Yeah. So I, uh, I took his guitar headed off the stage right to the guitar. And well, and I walked by his son and I asked him, I was like, does he have a string in his guitar case? And he's like, yes. So I headed over there and then you and Owen followed. And so they played uh, one song while we were changing yep. a string. And I was like, all of us were like, we just need to get this guitar back before the song's done. You know, that was the hope. Figured we, yep. had, we had about three minutes, should be fine. Well, we burned a good minute of that three minutes just trying to find a string because I, I look now you have to also know that we're right-handed guitar players like most of the world mac powell yeah. is a left-handed guitar player so i've yeah, got he's handicapped <laughs> so <laughs> he's special uh-huh. he, he is special. if we had barber special. if mm-hmm. barber was here also special barber could have changed the string yeah we could have done this so i have sitting sitting on my lap you're looking for a string. I'm pulling off, and I, I told you it's the high E. So you start looking through. Well, apparently, he had all these string packages in there, all with the E's already out. Because you went through a few, and you're like, apparently, oh, he yeah. breaks a lot of E strings. Because you kept going, yeah. there's not one there, there's not one there. And so it took us about a minute before you just opened up a new packet, get the E out. So Yep. Stick the string on, wind it up. You give me the uh, the winder to make it go a little bit faster. Everything's fine. Well, now we got to tune it up. So basically, at this point, you are barber, right? Because barber is left-handed, and so you're having to tune this thing. But the thing is, is you did something different because you're not playing it left-handed. You don't have the high E. You're more like Dick Dale. You decided to go upside yeah. down. So yeah. really, you have the high E up on the left, and the tuner doesn't really tune the same way now, does it? No, no, it does not. But we're committed at this point because we're not <laughs> yeah, switching absolutely. around. And so you, so you grabbed out, grabbed a tuner, and we just started on the low E, which was good because there was a few strings out of tune. Meanwhile, they're getting really close to the end of this song, and oh, yeah. uh, we get to the high E, and we tune it up, and just as he finishes the song. We're, we're, we got the high tune, but I wanted to make sure it was stretched out. I hear off of the distance, I hear somebody say something about, do you have his guitar yet? And um, we weren't quite ready. And we yelled back 30 seconds. And it was, we wanted to stretch the string out so it'll stay in tune for him. So we stretch oh, yeah. it out, tune it up there. And at which point I stand up and you and I will move it out of the way. And I, and I head for the stage. <laughs> you know, there's a lot of people on this stage. Uh, in, in, Most in the, in the of wings. them looking at us. Yes. They're all waiting for us because... <laughs> 
Everything is stopped <laughs> at this point. It's all oh, yeah. on us. We've never been more important. In fact, I'm like, you know, at this point in time, because time really slowed down, I was thinking, <laughs> I never saw a mission statement for the fluffy white bunnies, but this has got to epitomize the, uh, the mission of the fluffy white bunnies to do what yeah. needs to be done when called upon. And <laughs> yeah, that's right. in an area that isn't already taken by some other group. Which I don't think Life Promotions has anybody on call to change strings. No, but we can all do it. The chances that you and I are standing on the side of the stage at the time it was needed, Mac Powell would have made it better if he would have just said, I need a bunny. You know, that would have been great. (laughs) But anyway, so I jump up and, and, and I'm thinking about this. As I see all the people, and you know, I felt, never felt more power ever in my life because it was like Moses parting the Red Sea. It was like everybody's just getting up. I'm like, what am I? What am I? The king of England? What is this? You know, it's just, right. except for with Moses, he had a staff and you had a Martin. That's true. I did. And I was waving it like, <laughs> like a club. <laughs> and so I, maybe that's it. I thought they were just getting out of the way for me to get the guitar on stage, but they were afraid because no. I was just like, get out of my way. This Ooh, is important. Right. So I'm, I'm like maybe in a little too much of a hurry to get over there because I get out in about the middle of stage and that's when I trip and I break the neck of the guitar. Yeah. It was amazing how <laughs> you just like flew off the stage. But as you were flying off the stage, you were really kind of like, it was kind of like two people jumping out of a plane. It was really a tandem. It was it was like maternal instincts kicked in. I did a somersault, I'm pretty sure, in midair, and I turned my back, and I grabbed the guitar, and I cradled it to my bosom like you would a baby child to protect it. Yes. And that's, and that's when I hit the fence, and I broke my back. And unfortunately, yeah. I still didn't save the guitar because the guitar neck then hit the ground and snapped off. Right. Yeah. You broke your back and its neck all at the same yeah. time. Yeah, so it was very memorable. Everybody remembers that yeah, time Lloyd died, died at Life Fest. Yeah, yeah. But, although that's a lie because that's not what I happened. Would, what happened is you walked out there and you handed him his guitar, all tuned, perfectly tuned. <laughs> yes, and he said, that's right. "Thank you, Roy. I appreciate." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I, I, so I hand him the guitar, and he, and he turns to everybody, and I don't. I don't know if he said thank you or, or if he said, hey, let's give Lloyd a hand or whatever, if he just went, Lloyd, you know, but everybody erupted into large applause. It was a standing ovation, Dr. T. I got oh, yeah. a standing ovation. Now, they were all standing already. Oh, I understand. Uh, Minor yeah, technicality, okay. but it was <laughs> so a standing to be ovation. Clear, they were all standing and clapping. That's really what it was. And it wasn't even like a normal clap. It was like a lame clap. They were like, hey, he's back. No, no, no. I mean, it was play it back. You're getting it on technical. It was they were standing, they were clapping. It was a standing ovation. So me being me, (laughs) me being me, I'm like, well, okay, this is kind of silly. I just changed the darn string. Actually, you and I changed the string, but okay. So I did my best Rocky pose at the top of the, when he's in Philadelphia and he runs up the steps and he's up in the mud yeah. and he shoves his, he shoves his fists in the air. That's what I did. I did my best Rocky. Yes. Get the eye of the tiger. It's the thrill of the fight. <laughs> exactly right. And so I start wor- working my way off the stage. And of course, there's a microphone between me and offstage. And I don't right. know what happened because I didn't really know what I was even going to say. I didn't have a plan or anything. But for some reason, I was drawn to this microphone because they're all cheering. And I'm yeah. like, well, this is, this is really kind of silly. So I walked to the microphone and I just said, it was nothing. 
And uh, Mac laughed and I walked off stage. Yeah. Well, keep in mind that at this point, people are going, Lloyd, 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 Lloyd. There's a lot of power there. Most from side stage, (laughs) but from the front, there were some too. There was was some. Standing, Mm -hmm. ovationing. Uh Uh-huh. Yes. And what's amazing about this is what you just did was you opened Pandora's box. (laughs) Because what happened is once all of a sudden somebody, anybody can just walk up to a microphone and start talking, other people feel compelled. And Bob Lenz, the person who started Life Fest, the originator, Mm -hmm. decided that at that point the Holy Spirit had filled him enough. (laughs) <laughs> that he may walk up to the microphone and decide that he was going to proclaim to all his statement. And that statement... Well, I, I, want, to, I want to bring everybody back a second, because before that happened, Bob had just been on stage before Mac Powell explaining, you know, this is only the second time this event had happened down in this area, but it's been happening 23 years up in Oshkosh Life Fest. And it gets 30,000, 40,000 people now each year. And so Bob was explaining that to the crowd and explaining what his dream for this this event here to grow. And then um, he hops up on stage and then go. This happened. Bob comes up and he decides to share a little bit of data. And this data is back in 1999, the first Life Fest ever occurred. And they had a number of bands that day. And the very first band that played the very first chord was mm-hmm. Echelon, mm-hmm. which is your band. Yeah. So you started Life Fest musically. Yeah. And then, according to Bob, the second band mm-hmm. was Third Day, <laughs> which Mac Powell is the lead singer of. Yeah. And so all of a sudden, at that moment, Mac Powell looks over at you and goes, Get over yeah. here, Lloyd. And now all of a sudden, you guys are sharing a hug yeah. in the middle of the stage. And that's when you crushed the body of his Martin, yeah. and it just disintegrated it, under the it ground. It turned really awful right there again. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. yeah. But yeah. But that's a lie. But, he, he did hug you, but the Martin was fine, yeah. and he played the rest of the set, and it was pretty awesome. Yeah. No, it was It was, It was. was cool. But yeah, it is amazing to have that opportunity for Bobby. Like, this guy played the first note at the very first Life Fest. And you were the band right after this guy. And here we are now. He's yeah. changing your string. So, yeah. <laughs> You're still in the big star and he's changing your strings. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> but I would like to mention this. Usually the way things work is a band starts. We go, everything looks fine. And we leave the stage. We go off doing other things in the festival. But we stayed. And the reason why goes back to something that Jim, the stage manager, talked about in the last festival. And I said to him at one point, you know, I just don't like standing side stage anymore. I used to love doing that, but I just don't love it anymore. I think the reason why is because there's just not amplifiers on the stage. I love listening to the tone on the stage. And Jim actually added to that. And he said, yeah, there's no floor wedges. Yeah. Without the floor wedges, you don't get the mix. Like you're just missing a lot of things. Well, I think the reason why you and I were standing there five songs into this set is because Mac Powell used floor wedges and he used actual amplifiers. And I have to say that was probably the most enjoyable 
of all of the sets simply because we could stand there and just watch the reactions, see what's going on, and hear what they were hearing. Yeah. There were a couple bands that did that. We stuck around longer for them because, yeah, it's a lot of fun. Oh, yeah. Because, yeah, in the younger days, you and I at these events, you know, most of the bands would turn their amps around and face them backwards. And you and I loved just standing backstage and just listening to the very loud guitar tone going, we could never play at that volume. No, and actually that was the thing with uh, with Skillet because that's the way that Skillet runs theirs. Yeah, they just point them backwards and go, "Well, YOLO." Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and just let it happen. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and it sounds amazing. So that brings up an interesting point too, because we we should probably talk a little bit about amps because I talked with Jason one time on this podcast about our tube amps dead and. We decided tube amps are not dead because I went to that life fest and it was amazing. There were amps all over the place. But the big difference between Oshkosh and Music City this year, there was a lot of modelers. Yeah, there really was. Like a ton of them. There was a lack of amplifier. Yeah, and I, I really hate to admit it, but the guitar tone sounded great. With the modelers. Out front, it sounded good. Yeah. And this is what happened, is we would stand side stage, and then we'd go, eh, all right, let's go out front and see how it's sounding, and go check on the other stages. And we'd go out front, and we'd go, dang, that sounds really good. Which is why it was so strange watching Stephen Curtis Chapman. Yes. That's a perfect example, because I remember Ian. Ian is the lighting guy. He's the guy that you had this pipe but you didn't know where all the lights went. But if you had a hand, unless it was a Canadian hand, it was perfect. You know, whatever. (laughs) Okay. So Ian was standing side stage and I walked up and I was watching Stephen Curtis Chapman. And I looked over to Ian and I said, gosh, it is great to have live amps, isn't it? And he went, kind of. I was like, what do you mean? And what I didn't realize was... All of this noise, all this sound, it which sounded glorious. It was Stephen Curtis Chapman's guitar, his electric guitar. And I went, gosh, it sounds amazing. And all I saw in my head was a head and a cab. Might. That's all I saw. Mm -hmm. And so this goes back to your crime scene. Was it the black car or the red car that hit? And was there a puppy involved? Yes. And sure enough, I would swear to this day, I saw a head... But what he helped point out, that there was a Kemper sitting on top of it. And what happened was the Kemper was going into this basically a power amp that looks like a head that then fed a cab and then that cab was mic'd. So it was a modeling amplifier Uh that was being mic'd. Yes. And you told me also years ago, I don't know, six years ago at... Oshkosh Life Fest, yep. you were standing side stage when Chapman was playing, and he had a yep. he had a, a DC model matchless um, combo, right? Yeah, it's it's like right now, as you say that, I have this vivid memory of standing and looking at this incredibly loud. It had to have been well over 100 dB amplifier that was this teal-looking matchless DC-30. Mm-hmm. And it sounded amazing. And I was standing side stage at Music City six years later, and I'm standing there and I'm going, that's the sound I remember. Yeah. Man, 
That is amazing. Yeah. And sure enough, there's that Kemper head. And I look at what it says that is profiling. Yeah. And it's profiling a matchless DC-30. Which may actually even be the, a profile of that very amp that you heard six years earlier. <laughs> but what, yeah. what doesn't make sense. Probably is. What I haven't figured out, and I don't think you have figured out either yet, is why are you profiling that? He, he was using in-ear monitors anyway. Why the power amp and True. why miking the cab? Why? Yeah. I mean, I guess the, the, the speaker, I guess, adds a tone that maybe doesn't come out of the Kemper, maybe. I don't really know. But what's so amazing also is I looked at my watch and on my watch, I have a decibel meter. And when I looked at the decibel meter, it was still reading 103. Whoa. And at that point, I'm going, just bring the amp, man. Yeah. Like you literally live 40 minutes <laughs> that way. Why not bring the amplifier and just play it to its glory? And you brought a head, a power amp, and a speaker cabinet, which the speaker cabinet would have been bigger than the matchless DC-30 that that maybe he profiled. Anyway, <laughs> why not just bring the amp? Since you got three things instead of one. Right. Chapman, if you're listening to this, contact Dr. T. We need to know. You're not. Because, man, the guy, <laughs> yes. the guy has great tone, and he had to have a reason for doing this. I, and he does. He has great tone. He has great showmanship. It's it's amazing. But yeah, it, it was it was absolutely crazy. I, all right, so we we should probably come to a close. And as we're coming to a close, I do have one thing that has to be mentioned for sure, and that is on Johnny Cash's farm in Bonagua, Tennessee. He used to have this carport. And in this carport, he kept a couple of his old cars. Actually, in the last podcast we had about Bonagua, Tennessee, the Music City one, we talked about seeing Johnny Cash's last Cadillac, which, by the way, is still there. It is. Okay. But in this carport, there was a couple of little things, and it was an outdoor stage or whatever. Well, they have turned it to an indoor stage now. Yeah, And in this little indoor venue, it's really tiny, we had speakers talking. And it really looks like a Johnny Cash fanatic vomited in there. Yeah. <laughs> like, there is costumes from Johnny Cash. There is the one piece at a time car. There is his first Buick. There is a Harley. There is this Lincoln Continental that has a specialized engine. There's all of these things inside this thing. It is a memorabilia shop. Mecca. And it was super cool. Yeah. And one of the things that I want to mention inside there was this black bar. And this black bar came from Elvis's apartment. Yeah. And I took a picture. I had Owen, my 14-year-old cork sniffer, take a picture of me holding one of the glasses at the bar. Yeah. And I went, I'm sitting at Elvis's bar. Yeah. We, I'm a hound dog. We, yeah. I ain't nothing but a hound dog. <laughs> well, we knew that. Um, yeah. And we can't confirm or deny that it was actually a bar that Elvis used. But it did come from a property that Elvis owned. Yes. And you know what? He might have had a blue Christmas without it. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's true. It's true. Mm-hmm. Are you done? And if it didn't work out, maybe he might be in the jail. Mm-hmm. A jailhouse rock. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Keep him coming. Yeah. Keep coming. 
<laughs> so it was it was super cool. It, that that was really cool. So I want to mention that my favorite memorabilia in there actually, out of all the really cool things, the thing that I loved the most was the door. There was a door. Oh yeah, right behind the Cadillac that was made for. <laughs> Um, his song, you know, it was a 67, 68, 69 automobile, you know, and the, yeah, that's just, right. it's a Cadillac with two headlights on one side and one headlight on the other. It's just pieces. If anybody knows yep. the song, you know what we're talking about. So that Cadillac is there, but right behind it was a door, just a plain old white, old antique door, and it had a sign on it. And, and on, the, on the door, the sign said, this door is the original front door to Johnny Cash's house on, on this property. And Johnny Cash would often forget the keys when he was home, so he would kick the door in. This is that door. Yeah. And it's like, and it's broken oh on the gosh. side. I'm like, that kind of stuff is kind of cool to me. You know, that they have the door, and it's, oh, yeah. and it's all broken on the side, and, you know, and pictures it was going amazing. through it. And you pointed that out, because I, I was like, why do they have a stupid door there? And then you actually read the sign, and I went, oh, man, that is... That's funny. That is totally worth it. Yep. Okay, one more thing I want to mention. That is the name of my vehicle. And the vehicle was a Polaris Pro XD commercial. And it it was super awesome. It was great to have it. But it was this gray vehicle that had a few flaws. And one of the flaws was I would throw it up into, into high and I would hit the gas and it would go nowhere. Hmm. It would just like slip it out. So I had a tough time coming up with a name because I had the tank last year, which was super cool. And this year at Life Fest, I had the Stormtrooper. Okay. So here we are on, in Bonagua and I had to come up with a name. I was really pressured to come up with a name and I couldn't think of a name. I'm like, I don't know. I'll name it Rita. <laughs> I, I really don't know what to name it. Hmm. And the second that that happened, that it slipped out of gear, immediately I went... Talk to me, Goose. <laughs> and I flipped it into high. And at that moment, that's when I realized it's the Gray Goose. Mm-hmm. This is the Gray Goose, and that's what I will be driving. Now, what were you driving this entire time? I was uh, driving a vehicle of much sorrow. That's what I was driving. Yes, it was. <laughs> the the four-wheeler. You were driving the vehicle that I drove when I was the low man on the totem pole. Actually, I, I <laughs> love driving the four-wheeler. I don't, I don't mind at all. What, what Low man? No. Um, yes. I thought I was special. You guys were all driving the same thing. I had the special vehicle because I'm special. Yeah, you are. Problem is. Like Barber uh-huh. and John is a drummer. Uh-huh. uh-huh. And Mac Powell. <laughs> and Mac Powell I, and Dick Dale. <laughs> so I was driving uh, the four-wheeler. And uh, unfortunately, I normally love running the four-wheeler, but the battery charger, I think, wasn't charging the battery. And so it didn't matter how long you plugged it in, it wasn't going to do it. So we had to pull start it, which I didn't care. That'd be fine, except this four-wheeler has a fatal flaw. And that is that when you uh, try to pull start it, every second or third pull, I don't know what a technical term, it's vapor lock or whatever it is, it will... Because you have to, you have to give some, you, you have to pull pretty hard to get it to turn the engine over. Yeah, and it would just well, like you were pulling a lawnmower yeah. or like a a weed eater. But or it something would, like that. it yeah. would yank with with twice the amount of force, yank back the cord back into the motor every second. Oh yeah, there's a recoil. Oh my sure. gosh! And my pinky, if 
felt like it got ripped off a couple times. So much so finally at the point where I'm like, I'm done. <laughs> I'm like, I'm in too much pain. It's not worth it. Steven, be my ride, you know? And I just parked yep. it. Yep. So. And you were like, Dr. T, take the wheel. Mm-hmm. I sang that very song. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I bet you did. All right. Well, I think that probably brings us to final thoughts. And so let, let's go ahead and say, what do you think? about LifeFest Music City, what is it that you would say as some final thoughts to this festival, your second time being a bunny and your first time being MacPal's Guitar Tech? Last year was uh, quite a hectic first year with the multiple stages. And I, I'm assuming that also meant we had we had the same amount of gear that was kind of spread out or close to the same mm-hmm. amount of gear spread out over multiple stages. And, and so there was a lot of like, Oh, this went down. You need to go find this. And it just, it, it seemed chaotic. Yeah. And this year was just really, everything flowed great. And it was also nicer. You yeah. know, it, the, the event isn't as big as Oshkosh. So the smaller amount of stages, there were a lot more people at each stage that was there. Whereas in last year, it was kind of sad. Some of the stages would be a band would be up there playing for like two or three people. Yeah. So it was nice. It was nice to see that. There was also more campers this year, which I love to see. Oh, yeah. Yeah, everything seemed to be coming together more. The first year, you know, it, it's a first year. You know, second year, you hope that it's gotten better. And I would say it's gotten better. Yeah, I did. I did notice, I was quite surprised at how many people I talked, because I was always asking people, oh, where are you from? And how many people at the event that weren't from Tennessee? So I don't know what the ratio yeah. of actual locals came to that event. I don't know. It had to be a lot of them, but uh, but a lot of the people I met were from Indiana, Ohio, Wisconsin. You know, none none from the south yeah. actually. All from the north. Interesting. One thing that I still still regret, and you and I talked about it last year, and I thought about it again this year, is I so much wanted to get a "I gave blood at Life Fest" shirt. Yeah, but. With our sleep schedule, getting up every morning, we have to set up at seven, and we're also the ones tearing everything down at night after the headliner's done, you know, yep. and in the hot days and all that, it's like, I eh, probably shouldn't be given a pint of blood, but someday, yeah. someday. So with all that said, thank you, Lloyd, for being a part of the Tweed Couch Guitar Therapy Session. I appreciate you being here. Oh, man. Always a joy, Dr. T. I uh, love you very much. Appreciate it. Love you, too. All right. Until next time. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Well, that concludes our time with the Tweed Couch Guitar Therapy Session. If you like what you heard, make sure you hit like and subscribe. Also, be sure to check us out on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. And remember, you are your greatest asset. Until next time.